know, my wife and I love watching um, sitcoms. And it's kind of a nice way to relax at the end of the day. And, and I remember years ago when a show came out and we kind of got hooked on, as many other people did, the show called Friends. And for 10 years, it became this incredible series that, that people really found some connection to. And the reason was because there's six individuals, three guys, three gals who come from really weird families who found this common bond with one another. And, and they go through life's challenges and struggles and, and searches uh, all with one another. And there's some funny things along the way. You guys might remember some classic lines like, how you doing? Or, or pivot! Or we were on a break! You know, uh, just some classic lines that remind you, remind you of episodes. And it just was a powerful series that people just found a connection with because I think everyone said, I want to have friends like that. I want to have friends that I can uh, share life with. I want to have friends that I can go through the highs and lows with. And when we looked at them, we said, well, they've got it. They've got what we want. And so when you watch that, you think, well, that's probably how they are in real life because they really like each other. But it's interesting. There was a special that came out. It actually was aired not too long ago, but it was, it was recorded of this group coming back together on a reunion some 15 years after the show had ended. And what's interesting, they said in that special, they had not actually gotten together as a full group for 15 years, which makes you wonder, like, were they really that close of friends after all? And did it take two to three million dollars per person to get them to want to be friends again? I mean, good friends are hard to find. We all want friends that will be with us and go through life. I have a friend here in the church that says it's not so much what you do in life, but who you do it with that matters. And the greatest memories are with friends. Well, we've been looking at the Proverbs of what Solomon says, and it's amazing. Solomon speaks to all kinds of areas of life, and he speaks to this issue of friendship. And I think he summarizes it with this passage from chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You want to go down a good path in life, surround yourself with wise people. But if you surround yourself with fools, they're going to have a negative influence. I mean, good friends can have this powerful impact on your life. They can reinforce values. They can speak into your life. They can guide you down a path that you want to go. It's even shown scientifically that those with good friends actually are healthier and live longer. But on the other side, if you encircle yourself with bad friends, they can take you down a very negative and destructive path, lead you into habits and choices that, that you regret. Many people in psychotherapy and in jail will, will comment about somebody who had this negative influence in the life and put them where they are now. Good friends. We all want good friends. At every age, friends are important. That's why this past uh, Wednesday, we had over 50 people come to a pal's lunch because that's their friends. They want to gather together and be with one another. You need friends. I need friends. Your kids especially need friends. You know, it's shown that when parents um, raise their kids, when they get to be about 12 to 14 years of age, they go through a... Uh, a change in life. See, mom and dad have been the primary influence. And you've done your job of guiding them, shaping their values, creating habits in their lives. But all of a sudden, someone else steps in and takes the priority of influence in their life. You know who that is? Their peers. And all of a sudden, the people they go to school with, the people they hang out with have an incredible influence. They start to challenge even some of the beliefs and values that mom and dad have tried to inculcate into their kids. You know, I've tried to train you to be like this, but your friend is challenging it. And they're trying to test them to see if they really work. Well, mom, was mom and dad right? And mom and dad, just, just hold on, that even though you've lost some of your influence when your kids become teenagers, years later, if you've done a good job, they're going to come back and say, thank you for what you did. Thank you for being the parent in my life. 
You know, you kind of expect your kids to push the boundaries, your peers, and so that's what happens. But you know, you cannot choose your friends. I mean, you cannot choose your children's friends, but you can choose the environments in which they are more likely to develop good friends. What I mean by that is you can, as you're raising your kids, get them in places where they're going to rub shoulders with good people, like church, like a youth group, like a Bible study, like having a party at your own house where you choose who gets to be there by you as adults hanging out with good people who have decent kids who then play with your kids and they become friends and maybe even become lifelong friends. You can have an influence on your kids and your grandkids in the friendships that they form. But what I want to do today is look at Proverbs and what Solomon and the other writers say about friendship and look at the key qualities of a good friend. Here's the first one. Good friends stay with you. It says in chapter 18, verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's not just about having a lot of people that know you. That's what Facebook is. Facebook friends. I have over a thousand friends on Facebook, and some I've never met in my life. Some I have no idea who they are or or what they're about, and yet we're called friends, but technically we're not really friends. I wish they would just call them followers. A friend is someone that sticks a little closer Someone who's, who kind of becomes like Velcroed to you. I've talked to you about this Velcro family that we have. You go through life and you start to just to connect with one another. That's a sticky friend. Now, there's two kinds of sticky people. There's an icky sticky. You know what I'm talking about? The icky sticky? It's a person like, you're trying to, it's like a, it's like a, um, a goat head on your, on your shoelace. And you say, I wish I could shake that off, and I can't. Everywhere I go, that's where they are. And, and. And it's a person that doesn't really add to your life. I call them the sapper. Like, you know, like they drain you and, you know, oh, woe was me and it's negative and, and, you, and you feel dumped on and ends up being all about them and their life. And I call them sappers. We want people who are zappers. See, you can tell the difference of a sapper and a zapper. A, a zapper is someone who energizes your life. Who, who like recharges it. You go and have lunch with them, you go back and you go, wow, I, I, I feel like living again. I feel like investing in my marriage again. I feel like going back to church again. You know, you just feel fired up with that person. When Paul wrote to the church in Rome, I love how he described them and, and what the, the people were like. He says, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed by your company. I get refreshed when I'm with you. Do you know when a uh, caller ID, when it shows up on your phone, and either you go like, oh my goodness, yes, it's that person. When my daughter calls me, I go like, I can't wait to talk to her. Hi, honey. And then there's someone else that calls. I go, huh. I think I'm just going to let that ring. <laughs> Any of you do that? <laughs> just going to let that one ring for a while, see what they have to say, and maybe I'll call them back. You know, we have people like that in our lives. We want, we want people who are going to stick with us. I love that... Um, when Cornelius, who was a Roman uh, soldier, he was a God-fearing man. He wasn't a Christian, but word came to Peter that there was a guy named Cornelius that needed to hear the gospel. It was this whole miraculous thing that you can read about in Acts chapter 10. But Peter is coming to Cornelius to bring the gospel to him, to really lay it out to say, you're invited into the family. And so what Cornelius does when he hears that Peter's coming is gathers the important people in his life. It says, on the following day, uh, they entered Caesarea. That's Peter and his gang. And Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Close friends. Not even just his friends. It's like, it's like the handful of people. He says, you guys, 
you know, you got to come and be part of this. You're going to be blown away. Peter, the apostle, he's coming. I want you to share in this. You have people that you want to share good news with. When something great happens, there's those few people you say, you won't believe what just happened. You won't believe what I just received. And there are people that when you're going through a real hard time, that those close friends that you'll call up and say, hey, I need someone to talk to. And you don't just talk to everybody. It's like those few people. We need close friends. I love the story in the Old Testament of a, a lady um, named Ruth. Whole book written about her, but the uh, gist of the story is there's a, a mother named Naomi who's married. They have two sons. Her and her husband have two sons. Those two sons marry these girls. One is named Ruth and one is named Orpah. And uh, over the course of time, the father dies and the two sons die as well. And so now you have a... a an older woman who's a widow, and you have two younger women who are widows as well. And Naomi tells those two young ladies, you're still young, you're still, you're still a good choice for marriage for somebody. Go back, find a man, settle down, go on with your life. And they looked at her and says, no, we're not gonna leave you here by yourself. You're, and especially for an older widow, that they didn't have much. So they said, no, we're gonna stay here with you. And then Naomi insisted that they go. And then listen to what happened. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, and she said, see, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Go do what Orpah's done, Ruth. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you, for where you go, I will go, where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That is a sticky friend. It could be in your family. It could be your daughter-in-law. It could be your son. It could be a, another relative. But oftentimes, it's someone outside your family. That person that sticks closer than a brother. Sticky friends are with you when you move, when you change jobs, when you, when you go to a different place, when you go through a tragedy, when you've been through a divorce. That friend says, hey, I'm still there. I'm still here for you. I'm still your friend. And you know what's interesting? When you have those sticky friends, years can pass by where you, where you don't hardly even talk. You may not even see each other. But when you do, it's like you're right back where you were. There's not this awkward, like, oh, what's been happening in your life? Who are you? No, it's like you just pick up where you left off. It's really amazing. I have a group of guys I went to college with back in Nebraska. That's a very formative time in my life, four years of Bible college. Guys I went to preaching classes with, Bible classes with, hung out in the dorm with, played basketball with. And then after we graduated, we all kind of spread out. A lot of the guys ended up in Nebraska at churches. A few of us are in Colorado. One of the guys was in, uh, in Wisconsin. And we all gathered together back in May, early in May, up in Estes Park. And it was so great. Here's a, a picture. We went um, walking around the, the Rocky Mountain National Forest and, and walked around one of the lakes and just talked. And it was so great just to catch up. And we stopped and someone offered to take a picture of us. And uh, it was amazing to sit in a room with these guys and how close we all felt because we had this past connection. It's like we didn't have to rebuild the foundation again. It was already there. Once you get a friend like that, I mean, that's a keeper. That's a keeper. You have special moments together. Maybe you have someone like that in your life. You want a good friend who will stay with you. Here's another quality of a good friend. They give grace. It says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. 
A good friend can get over those bumpy moments in your relationship. Because anytime you get close to someone, it's like a dance, you're going to step on their toes. You're going to step on their toes. There's, there's going to be times where um, they're going to do something that hurts you. And any of us who are married, can we agree? Hello. Yeah. <laughs> there's times in your marriage life where you go, man, I didn't realize there would be so much hurt in my marriage. Uh, I didn't realize I was such a bad person till I got married because I didn't realize like my tone of voice or, or how I, my habits that I had, that, that they were that bothersome. But yeah, I can get on someone's nerves and, and they can get on my nerves and we know how to push each other's buttons. You know, it's amazing after 37 years of marriage, we still step on each other's toes, still. But that's what happens in relationships. You just expect it. You're going to get hurt. You may get offended. Now, the issue is, what do you do when you're offended? Do you keep bringing it up? Do you keep a record of it? Do you, do you, get, do you go historical? No. Not hysterical, historical. I remember back 10 years ago. I remember back when you did this. Last year, last week. You know, that's historical. You keep a record of it, and you keep bringing it up. And the proverb says, you're going to separate your relationship if you keep doing that. Some of you follow this little story. This happened in our family. We had a little flood happen back at the end of January. For six, seven weeks, we lived in a hotel with our dog. And then we went back home and lived in a camper for a few weeks. And then we were told they're going to start working in May. And by the end of the month, we'll be done. You'll get to move back into your house. Everything's going to be back to normal. Here we are, almost the middle of July. We're still not back to normal. Our, our house is not back to normal. Well, we're not back to normal either. <laughs> so the other day, my wife gets a text from the contractor saying, hey, you, remember that, you know that, uh, that tub, the bathtub you wanted? It's not available. I said, well, it's good to know after three months that it's not available. And so uh, Julie just broke down. She was out shopping and she saw the text. She just, just in tears, thinking one more delay. So you have an option. I'm going to retaliate, get mad, tell everybody how upset I am. And she decided to do something. I thought I was really proud of her. She picked up the phone and called Wayfair. Some of you know that's an online company. Finds a tub on there and says, is it in stock? They said, yes, it is. She goes, stay on the line. I want, to, I want to get a hold of my contractor right now and see if we can buy that tub and get it ordered. So she gets a hold of the contractor and has Wayfair on the phone. And they agree, yes, it's available. Yes, go get it. Good. It's on its way to our house now. So I thought, wow. And then there's another issue that came up that, that we've asked multiple times for them to do, and they've not done it. So she says, I'm just going to call the main office and ask them to get on it. And they did. So, so either you can just hold on to that and, and fume and fuss and talk to everybody and, and just get angry, or you can say, I, I'm going to handle it a different way. Human nature wants to react. Human nature wants to hold on to it. Human nature wants to make this an ongoing issue. Listen to this. This is also in the Proverbs. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Meaning, when someone gets offended, it is really hard for them to let it go. They are unyielding. And you know, I've seen this. I've, I've conducted funerals for families that still are some siblings harboring issues that happened way back in their childhood, in the house, when they were kids, or sometimes as young adults. And they're still holding on to us like they are unyielding. And sometimes people say like, oh, I'd like to forgive. The more I think about it, I can't. They just, every time they think about it, it flares up again and it becomes an issue. It is not easy to cover an offense. In fact, I'd say it's not normal. It's not natural. 
It's supernatural. Supernatural. It takes the grace of God to do that. Because there's a part of us that feels like, I'm a just person, and they hurt me, and they need to pay something for it. That's the only way this is ever going to go away. They have to pay for this to get kind of like settled so we can move on. But here's the truth. It was already paid for on the cross. Every sin, your sins, their sins, were paid for on the cross. The reason we can forgive is not because they made it right. It's because the Lord paid for it and covered it with his blood. And then he's asking us, would you cover it with grace? Peter writes, Love covers over a multitude of sins. A multitude. Not just one here or there. A multitude. If you're going to be married, you're going to cover a multitude of sins. If you're in a friendship, you're going to cover a multitude of sins. And if we're always going to run away from relationships that hurt us, you're never going to go to that deeper level. Good friends give grace. And here's what I've discovered. I have my own issues. And sometimes I'm the offender. It's why Jesus said hey, you see that speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? How about you focus on the log in your own eye and remove that? Then you can go talk to the other person. See, here's what Proverbs again says. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. You know your story well. You know it in and out. You know all the details of your story. And and you also know the motives of the other person. They intended to hurt me. They really hate me. They were out to get me. You, know, you jump to those conclusions because you know your story so well. But step back. Maybe, maybe there's another side to this story. One of the ways that you can discover who your real friends are is who's left standing when everyone else walks out. When you've messed up, you've blown it, when you've been a jerk. When everyone else walks out, the friend says, hey, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still here because I'm going to give grace for this. You know, there's a great friendship in the Old Testament between a guy named David and his, uh, the king's son, Jonathan. See, Saul was the first king of Israel, and Saul was a, started off really good, but then things went downhill real fast. And so God chose another guy to replace Saul. His name was David. But before David could become king, many years went by where he had to just wait And Saul knew that, that David was the king in waiting. And the interesting thing was, ideally, the son of Saul should be the next king. That's that's Jonathan. But Jonathan wasn't picked by God. David was picked by God. And yet, amazingly, Jonathan says, I'm going to be David's friend. I'm going to be faithful to David. In fact, Scripture says that Jonathan loved David like his own soul. And so you find David who's running from Saul while Saul's chucking spears at him, trying to kill him. And Jonathan's always coming to David's defense, always there for him, always loving him, always giving grace to him, always protecting him. That's what good friends do. It says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves how often? At all times. Even when adversity comes, that friend will be there loving you. When times get tough, they'll be there They'll stand. Some people will say to you things like this. Hey, if you need something, just holler. Just holler. But you know what a good friend says? You don't have to holler because I'll hear you when you whimper. Because I'm tuned in to you and I know when to come. You don't have to holler for me. I'm already tuned in and I'll be there. That's a good friend. Friend that gives grace when you need it.
And then finally, here's a third characteristic of a good friend from Proverbs. Good friends make us better. I love this. A good friend not only accepts you as you are, they help you become the person God wants you to be. A good friend takes you where you are, but they're not going to let you stay there. They're going to help you become the person that God wants you to be. They make life better because they make us better. I always recommend to someone, marry, marry one of your best friends. Or the person you marry should be one of your best friends. Because that should be that your husband or wife should be someone who knows you well and stands by you and helps you become a better man, a better woman. And you can always tell when someone's around the wrong crowd. It could be your kids. They come home and you go, okay, you've been hanging out with that group again, haven't you? You've been hanging out with her, haven't you? I can tell by the way you're talking. I I can spend time with my biological family and my wife says, you've been talking to your family, haven't you? Yeah. Because we pick up those habits. I've heard someone say that, that we are kind of like the composite of the four or five best friends we have. And we become like them. And so if you want to go in the right direction, make sure that the circle around you is the people that you admire. It says, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. One of the ways they make us better is they say the things no one else has the courage to say. They're not only willing to speak the truth, but speak it with wisdom. Again, Proverbs, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Friends will say the hard things. Now, there are people in your life who will say hard things, but they don't love you. It's like someone shooting arrows from a distance. They dip them in tar, they light them, and they launch them at you, and they hit you, and you go, oh, that hurts. They go, good, I wanted that to hurt. A friend, though, is not shooting from a distance. For iron to sharpen iron, there's rubbing, and there's friction, and there's heat, and sometimes there's sparks, because that person is getting close enough, because they love you, and, and they'll say something that may hurt you, but it's because they want to make you better. The assailant can use a knife to hurt you, and the surgeon can use the same knife to heal you. And you want surgeons in your life, not assailants. You want people in your life who say, hey, I, I love, get, come close. Hey, I want to share with you. It's when you, your guy that tells your friend, hey, buddy, can I talk to you about the way you're, you're, you're treating your wife? Dude, it's not good. Or the woman that says to her friend, like, hey, hon, um, let's not talk about that because that's really gossip and, and we shouldn't be gossiping. It's, it's when a parent says to their son or daughter, hey, can we sit down and talk about that decision you're thinking about making? Because there's consequences of that kind of decision. If you're humble and wise, you will listen and take that to heart. It doesn't mean they're right. It doesn't mean you have to do everything they say, but you should be grateful when someone loves you enough to speak truth into your life because it comes from a good place. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Wounds. Your friend could wound you but it's from a faithful friend. You know, David, who was the, when he became king, committed this horrendous sin by seeing this beautiful woman from his uh, palace. She was bathing, and he says, man, I want that one. So they brought her up to him. He slept with her. She became pregnant. And so he decided to have her husband put at the front of the, of the battle lines so he would get killed, which is really arranging for his murder. 
And so then the prophet Nathan, David's side, side his advisor, comes to him and he's, and he's going to approach David and confront him with his sin, but I love how Nathan does it. He tells him a story. Now, he doesn't tell David, like, I'm making up this story. This sounds like a very true story. He says, he says David, there was, there was a man who was very rich, and he had all these lambs. I mean, dozens, hundreds of lambs. And he was going to prepare a dinner for a guest, and he told his servants to go to the man down the road who had one little lamb. There was a poor man down the road who had one little lamb. It was such a beautiful little lamb that that man raised him and the kids got to know the lamb by name. It was like a pet to that family. And and the king said, I want that lamb to be slaughtered for my guests. And when David heard that story, he said, you know what? That, That rich man needs to be punished for what he did. And then Nathan said, David, you're that man. You took that one man, that man's one wife. And David was convicted. And Nathan found a way to penetrate his heart with the truth. People who really love you will make you a a better person. But bad people can make you worse. When I was in high school, one of the the top music groups at that time was a a group from um, England called Bad Company. Guys remember that? Bad Company, Can't Get Enough of Your Love. I think that was one of their hits. Um, I think they took their name out of Scripture. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. (laughs) Don't listen to their music. It's going to corrupt your morals. Bad company, bad companions, they're going to bring you down. And then Proverbs actually lists some kinds of people to avoid. Here's some kinds of bad company. Those, number one, with an uncontrolled tongue. It says, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisper separates close friends. Don't hang around those who lie or gossip. Secondly, those with uncontrolled anger make no friendship with a man given to anger. Why is that? Well, in the New Testament, we learn that anger gives who a foothold? The devil. Anger gives the devil a foothold. I've known many people who live in an angry household where they're being emotionally abused by someone who blows up on them, belittles them, apologizes, and then the cycle repeats itself. It's a very dysfunctional, unhealthy relationship. Here's a third kind. Those with uncontrolled habits. It says, a companion of gluttons shames his father. You know, it just shows that if you're going to make gluttons your companions, you're probably going to become a glutton. You, you have friends who are into drugs, you're probably going to end up taking drugs. You, if friends are into criminal activity, you're going to be like them. If you, you know, whatever it is, pornography, you know, uh, flirting with married people. You know, my friends do that, it's just fun. You know, everybody does it. It, you're going to become like your friends. It doesn't mean you have to pick perfect friends, but you need to be aware of how your friends are influencing you. Are they influencing you toward God or away from God? Are they helping you get down the path further toward God, or are they putting roadblocks in that path? Those three characteristics, Solomon says, are great characteristics of a friend. They stay with you. They give grace. They help you become a better person. Wouldn't you like a friend like that? Wouldn't you like someone like that in your life? Sad thing is, many of us don't. Many of us say, Pastor, I'd like to have a friend like that. I need a friend like that. I don't even know where to go find a friend like that. That's why I want to tell you, there is a friend like that. His name's Jesus. He is the best friend you could ever have. The best friend is Jesus. You know there are billions, literally billions of people on planet Earth 
And yet, yet people are experiencing this incredible loneliness all over this planet. All over this planet, people are saying that they're lonely. In fact, in the year 2000, a man, uh, Harvard political scientist came out with a book called Bowling Alone. And in this book, he chronicled from the 1930s to the 1990s how Americans have begun to isolate themselves. He says they used to go after work out bowling. And they'd be with their friends bowling and talking. And he says they don't do that anymore. People go bowling alone. People don't join the Kiwanis and Rotary and the clubs like they used to. They don't go to scouts like they used to. They don't do the social clubs. They just kind of go home and stay alone. Now, this was written in the year 2000. Think if it was written after the pandemic. After a period of time when we tell people, hey, you need to socially distance yourself. I hated that term because it should have been physically distance yourself. What we did is we shut ourselves out from one another emotionally. We isolated ourselves. And now we have this pandemic of emotional ill health. Elderly people feel alone. Young people feel alone. Minorities feel alone. Everybody's feeling alone. So where do you go to find a friend? You turn to Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Isn't that the old song? What a friend we have in Jesus. If you want a friend who will stay with you, I'll tell you it's Jesus. He says, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. You want a friend who gives grace? I can't think of anybody who loves me more and covers my sin better than Jesus. And when I think of someone who wants to make me a better person, there's nobody who wants to make me better than Jesus. I just want to tell you, it's not this, this, this weird thing of a friendship with Jesus. Jesus wants to be your friend. And I can't tell you how much it's impacted my life to know that my best friend, far, far above any earthly friend, has been Jesus because of these very reasons. You know, at the end of his um, life on earth, he gathered his disciples in the upper room, opened his heart to them, and then he said this, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I've made known to you. I mean, it's one thing to say, Jesus is my savior, he forgave my sins. And then even to go beyond that and say, he's also my Lord. I've surrendered my life to him. I'm trying to do my marriage God's way. I'm trying to do my finances God's way. I'm trying to do, do my life God's way. That's, that's the lordship thing. But then you, if you can get to this sweet part, when you've walked with Jesus for a period of time, and he says, I'm your friend. I'm your friend. Now think of it. The God of the universe is our friend. He later told them in that, uh, that night of the Last Supper, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He was going to do that that very night. Go to a cross, lay his life down for his friends. You know, I have to confess, and when I was studying Proverbs on all the verses dealing with friendship and companionship, there was a section that really bothered me. There's several verses that talk about um, rich man having a lot of friends and the poor man having few it bothered me because in my mind, I'm thinking, shouldn't it be the other way around? The rich man has his money, but the poor man has his friends, and he's truly rich. But that's not what it said. It actually says, you'll find a rich man having a lot of friends because he's generous to them. You know, it kind of struck me the wrong way, like, Ugh. Is he, does he just have friends because he's rich? I knew a guy back in Arizona, um, Terry Ricketts was his name. We call him Tickets Ricketts because uh, he worked for the public utilities and every year he'd get free tickets to the Phoenix Suns basketball games or the best one was the Fiesta Bowl. I went to, I think, three or four Fiesta Bowls. 
got free tickets from Terry. But it's interesting, when it came around to that time of the year, how many friends came out of the woodwork? Hey, Terry, how you doing? What's up, Terry? Good to talk to you. Hey, by the way, got any tickets to the game? And he started realizing they just, people just wanted what he had to give. You know, it seems offensive to just want a friendship with someone because of what they have to give. But then I started thinking about, man, I'm that way with Jesus. And listen to this proverb. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend of a man who gives gifts. Jesus is the richest man, maker of heaven and earth, the owner of a cattle and a thousand hills. When Paul preached the gospel, he says he went around preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. Jesus is wealthy, and he loves to give gifts. And, I'm, and I love to receive gifts. It's like a match made in heaven. So I come to him in this one-sided, you know, very lopsided relationship where he's constantly given to me. What do I give to him? I, I don't know. I think the only thing I can give him is my life. My life. My broken life. Doesn't look real pretty, Jesus, but that's all I have to give you. And he says, I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, when Jesus was doing ministry on earth, the weirdest people became his friends. In fact, here's, here's the criticism of Jesus. It says in Matthew's gospel, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There's Jesus, friend of tax collectors and sinners. And you know, if he, if he took a compatibility test, which I think compatibility is overrated, he'd say he has nothing in common with them. Jesus, then prostitutes, tax collectors, ugh. What, what do they have in common? What is, why is Jesus seeking a friendship with those people? But I'll tell you this. The one thing that, that knitted them together that I, that I see in both of them was Jesus was so self-aware of who he was and what he came to do. No doubt in his mind. I came here as Savior. I've got a mission to fulfill. And over here, these people said, we're sinners who need grace. We know that. We have no, nothing else to hide. And Jesus said, because of that self-awareness, because of that honesty, we're, we can be friends. Jesus is a friend of any person who's willing to confess their sins, recognize their need of him, and surrender. Tonight, uh, the, the creators of The Chosen are doing a little special. To, they want to share something that was very, very powerful that happened recently. They gathered together a group of, I think, Generation Z. I don't know what age group that is, but they're very young Young adults who basically are turned off to the church, not religious, don't call themselves Christian, and they said, would you watch this film series on Jesus called The Chosen? Would you watch the first season of this and give us your honest feedback? And so this group that's very cautious about the church watched it, and many were, were, were driven to tears. And when they asked them how it impacted them, many of them said things like this, like, I never thought of Jesus that way. I never, I never imagined Jesus could love a person like that. And all of a sudden, the walls are coming down, and they're opening their hearts, not necessarily to religion and church, but to Jesus. And here's where I think sometimes we get it wrong. I think sometimes we, we try to convince people, if you think like me, believe like me, have the values like me, then Jesus can love you. And we don't need to bring, Jesus, or bring people to our side. Our mission is to bring people to Jesus, who then will transform the heart and the mind. Because that's what people are longing for. Are they turned off to church sometimes? Are they turned off to religion? A lot of people are. 
Very few are turned off to Jesus. Why? Because he's that friend who will stick closer than a brother.